going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I am your host, Bob. I'm hanging out talking my favorite hometown Cleveland sports, as always, with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much, Bob. This is a historic day on Clee Talk. Why, why is that? Because I am recording standing up. I am not <laughs> sitting down for this, Bob. I am standing up. Got a new standing desk in my office, and it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm glad you're ergonomically uh, sound as we record this podcast. Standing up it is nice, having a standing desk. I have one myself as well. I can get a little aerobics in while we record, too. <laughs> All right. Well, if I hear you panting, I know what you're doing, then that's good Good to know. Um, well, it was, it was good seeing you this weekend. I mean, we got to go to Indians game and, and catch up a little bit. Yeah, that's true, man. Happy Easter, everyone, all our listeners, a belated Easter. And, yes, it was great seeing you and Kayla, your fiancé. Uh, it was awesome. I mean, going to the Tribe game, we went. To, we picked the right Tribe game to go to this weekend, the one where they uh, scored like 14 runs and one of the two yep. wins on this homestand. We'll talk more about that a little bit later, but uh, it was fun to uh, see you experience the new renovations for the first time. Yeah, it had been a while since I've been uh, at the Jake, now called the Progressive Field. Um, we were at the, the, the Indians game while uh, the Cavs, right across the plaza at the queue, were opening up their uh, first game of the playoffs against the Indiana Pacers. So um, obviously we, we weren't really paying close attention to that game other than uh, that, that final score, uh, you know, looking around in, in the crowd as we were sitting in, in the stands watching the Indians play, just about everybody had their iPhone out looking at either ESPN or some some score update uh, of that Cavs game because, uh, Chris, it, it certainly went down to the wire um, kind of more than, than it should have been. Um, you know, this, this episode uh, on, on the podcast is going to be our NBA playoff preview podcast. We, we do have the, uh, the gift of foresight uh, just because of how our recording schedule aligned with, with, with the NBA playoffs. So, uh, we are making some previews and predictions already knowing the results of all the game one matchups, uh, the NBA postseason. Um, so before we talk about that game one matchup, uh, that, that the Cavs went to and, and how it went down to the wire, I mean, they, they got the, the Pacers, uh, in the draw as the two seed matched up with, with the seven seed Indiana Pacers. Uh, what, what are your expectations of the matchups that, that the, the Pacers present? Well, first and foremost, you got to go right to LeBron James versus Paul George. Uh, that's always a good matchup. Uh, the two play the same position, match up very well. Paul George is one of the more underrated superstars in this league. I do consider him a superstar. I think he's a guy you can build your team around and be a strong. I think you can be a contender with Paul George as your number one. Now, his problem is he hasn't played ever with a legitimate number two superstar even during the height of Indiana's dominance that when they ran into LeBron with the Miami Heat and so that's kind of a good segue because you know it's funny to think of these the, the this as a rivalry but but LeBron James has a lot of rivals in the Eastern Conference and most of the bad blood stems from his time in Miami you, you know his time he, he, him antagonizing the Bulls or tormenting them by eliminating them all the time that that a lot of that happened in Miami same with the Pacers so there's no you know there's no good blood between these two teams uh, you know there's no love lost or anything like that uh I think the Pacers are going to be a chippy team. Uh, that said, 
I, I don't think the Pacers have enough around Paul George to seriously challenge the Cavs over a seven-game series. Now, granted, the fourth-quarter issues that plague them down the stretch, the Cavs, that is, uh, certainly rear their ugly head on Saturday. But at the end of the day, the Cavs are up 1-0. I think the Cavs should take care of this series relatively easily. Though Lance Stevenson did look like the Lance Stevenson of old, at least in that game one. Um, If that is the case, if they can get uh, sort of a a good series out of Lance, maybe the Pacers take a game. But I don't think this will be a very tough series for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, I I don't think so either. You know, I I read an article that said this Pacers roster looks like a... Uh, if this were 2012, this would be an amazing roster because you got guys like Al Jefferson, Lance Stevenson, Aaron Brooks, Jeff Teague, Monte Ellis, Thaddeus Young, and even Paul George. I mean, Paul George certainly is, is a superstar. I agree with you, but he was uh, ascending on, on a much faster track before he snapped his leg uh, in that Olympic uh, or uh, that world uh, basketball game. Um, you know, th- this roster on, on paper sounds really good, but what, when you look at them uh, on the court and, and see them in 2017, it really is just Paul George out there uh, trying his best to, to will this team to victory night in and night out. Now, they certainly got close uh, to doing so in, in that game one matchup, mostly because Paul George shot six for eight behind the three-point arc, which I don't think is uh, close to being sustainable for him. I mean, he is certainly has that aspect of his game but uh 75% three-point shooting uh that's yeah if if that's what you're relying on to beat the Cavs that's not a a good sign and yes Lance Stevenson coming off the bench with 16.7 rebounds and three assists in that first game uh looked like the Lance Stevenson of old but we've seen these flashes from from Stevenson over the past couple seasons he just hasn't been able to sustain that so uh the Pacers there are a huge amount of what ifs is it possible that they could beat the Cavs uh, for a couple games in the series. Certainly so, uh, just because Paul George is that good and he can get hot at home. Um, but y- you're asking a lot, and-, and you need everything to click right for your team. And you also need uh, a-, a less than best Cavs team to show up. I mean, if the Cavs uh, played like they did uh, in that game one, with just a little bit more defensive effort, this is going to be an easy series for them. And I don't think that the Cavs played their best in game one. I mean, you look at uh, Kyrie Irving, one for nine behind the three-point arc, uh, very little bench contribution uh, f- from their team. Kyle Korver didn't even shoot a, a three-point shot. Um, so th- I think the Cavs, yeah, as we saw in that, that, that first game, they have a uh, ton of potential to do better. I think we got close to the best shot from the Pacers, uh, in that game one, just because Paul George did play such a, a really good game and they got some key contributions for from unlikely players like Lance Stevenson, which is what they'll need. But yeah, I, this roster does not concern me at all. I think the Cavs, uh, you know, from what I saw in game one, I think the Pacers might be able to pull out a, a home victory, uh, but I, I think it's going to be Cavs in five games. Bob, the last time LeBron, a LeBron-led team, lost a game in the first round was May 6, 2012. He is 11-0 in his career. He's never played a first-round game seven. He has won 18 straight first-round games now. So I think it's safe to say if you're in the NBA playoffs, you do not want to be playing LeBron James in the opening round. He has dominated this part of the postseason like no other player has before. Um, I do kind of agree that 
Maybe the Pacers can take one at home. I picked the sweep before the series began. I I posted all my picks on Facebook, and so for this podcast, I'm simply going to go off of what I picked prior to the games with no uh, not letting the game one influence me. I'm going to stand by that pick. I agree. I do think Paul George is good enough with the home cooking to snap that streak or maybe maybe take one from the Cavs. But I don't think this series goes longer than five. I will officially pick Cavs in four. But I agree with you. I, I don't see it going longer than five. Yeah, I, I think uh, long term the, the Cavs might have a tougher road than what we saw in uh, – previous postseason runs the past couple seasons but um this first round matchup you know i i have no concern uh the Cavs pulling this out even from what i saw in game one you know cj miles did have a did shoot a potential game winning shot uh, at at the buzzer beater and if they had gone in uh, i can't imagine the panic that would be going on right now but uh yeah nothing from what i saw is giving me too much panic for sure um well we will uh Looking uh, at the rest of the field in, in the Eastern Conference, let's start at the top. Obviously, the Cavs with the two seeds, so that means the Boston Celtics finishing the season with that number one seed, drawing a Chicago Bull matchup in, in the eighth seed. You know, Chris, before we dive into this, I mean, at the eighth, seventh, and sixth seed in the Eastern Conference, Bulls, Pacers, and Bucks, you got Jimmy Butler, Paul George, and Giannis at the Concompo. I just like saying that name. Uh, in the small forward positions and Giannis, you could say is a point guard, whatever, but those are three superstars that can, can change a game just because they're so versatile. Those are not the, the easiest of draws. And, and Boston certainly found that out in, in their game one matchup, losing by four points to the bulls in the opener, kind of a surprise there. Um, what, what's your preview of this matchup? Well, first off, I didn't realize Dwayne Wade was coming back. He played in that opening game and that changes things a little bit for me too. Um, I know my, my friend is a very big Bulls fan. Some Bulls fans are concerned that Dwayne Wade maybe makes them a worse team. I, I don't buy into that logic. How do you have a guy like Dwayne Wade on your team? I, I don't buy into that logic. A five-time NBA finalist, three-time champion. I don't see how that works. But you're right. I mean, the Boston Celtics, I don't think are a very scary team because I think it, they are the Isaiah Thomas engine. And as he goes, they go. He really has no help around him. Al, Al Horford is not the guy they thought they were getting in free agency. And everyone else is, is, is a strong, solid, collective, role-playing unit. But I don't think Isaiah Thomas, as good as he is, is a superstar or the kind of guy who can carry his team to a victory. So I I, I was torn when I picked this series. I kind of wanted to put the Celtics on upset alert and pick the Bulls prior to game one. I did not. I picked Boston in six. I am not going to overreact to one game because it's not like Boston got blown out or anything. But Bo- but the Chicago stealing game one changes the dynamics of this series a lot. Puts a lot of pressure on a team that hasn't had any playoff success over the last two years. They're two and eight in their two first round appearances under Brad Stevens with Isaiah Thomas leading the team. So it's not like Boston is this big, bad veteran team. Being the number one seed in the East maybe puts a little too much expectations on them because I don't even think they're the best team in their quadrant of the bracket. We'll get to that later. I I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Chicago push them, but at the end of the day, there is a reason Boston finished number one. 
They are still a good team. I'm gonna stand. I, I I stand by my pick I made before the series start. I'm gonna still take Boston in six, but the series got a lot more interesting with Chicago taking Game One. Yeah, that's funny that you didn't know Dwayne Wade was playing either. Uh, I read an article previewing the playoffs saying that Dwayne Wade was not going to play in these playoffs. Um, and he actually played the last three regular season games as well. So Dwayne Wade is back and has been back. Uh, it's just, I think that's a sign of how little the bulls, uh, how little people respected the bulls to, to make any impact in, in the playoffs. And then they show up and steal game one from the Boston Celtics. Um, yeah, I'm really concerned if, if I'm the Boston Celtics because uh, you know, you're across the court. Uh, Jimmy Butler is, is by any measure metric, the best court or the best player uh, on the court in, in this series. I mean, the Boston Celtics ha- have tremendous depth. I think they uh, boast probably the deepest team in the entire NBA, but they do not have a legitimate playoff time superstar. And Isaiah Thomas, I will never it's never going to be the Celtics fault that it's never going to be Isaiah Thomas's fault that the Celtics lose just because he does so much for, for so little. And and even in that loss, I mean, 33 points on on 10 of 18 shooting. um, I I, I can't, I can't put the blame on him. It's just his supporting cast. Like you said, Al Horford, uh, they has been disappointing. He's not the, uh, the versatile center that they thought they were getting. And then the rest of those bench players, uh, in the playoffs, you know, you don't need a, a 10 deep bench. Uh, most playoff teams go to an eight man rotation, maybe a nine man rotation. You know, the Cavs for, for majority of their uh, finals run last year played eight guys and, and that was it. Sometimes they would play nine. Um, so that becomes less uh, uh, of a impact and, and has less uh, of a say in, in the swing of the game. And I think as long as Dwayne Wade recognizes, which I think, you know, we have seen him recognize this in the past when he was playing with LeBron. As long as he recognizes that he's not the number one option that Jimmy Butler is and gets the heck out of the way and, and puts together games like he did uh, in that first round uh, or, in the, or in that first game where it was 11 points, two blocks, two steals, six assists, five rebounds, just doing a little bit here and there and, and still being the, the really good player that, that he is uh, supplementing Jimmy Butler. I think the Bulls are going to give the Celtics a run for their money. Now, uh, I didn't make predictions before the, the postseason started. I don't think the Bulls are going to upset the Celtics uh, in this uh, playoff series, but I do think it's going to go into seven games and it's going to be very close just from what we saw right there. Uh, Jimmy Butler is too good, and, and the Celtics just don't have anybody on their roster that, that can post up and match up with him. And as much as I love Isaiah Thomas, he is a liability on defense. I think the Bulls are, are going to give the Celtics a run for their money. And a couple points I want to make. First off, nothing would make me happier than uh, Chicago upsetting Boston. I don't like either of these franchises, by the way. I just uh, don't like Boston even more than I don't like Chicago. And Secondly, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh, Isaiah Thomas not only carrying Boston on his back, but carrying an awful uh, amount of emotion on his back as well with what happened to his sister uh, dying tragically at the age of 22 in Washington D.C. in a car accident that like hours before the game or the night before the game, immediately before Game One. Uh, so so you you compound the pressure of the playoffs, the pressure of being the man with that kind of emotional tragedy, and uh, it certainly you certainly feel for the guy 
for what he's going through off the court. I, I can't possibly imagine uh, what he's feeling right now. Yeah, definitely. It certainly is a sad, a sad story. And uh, seeing that raw emotion, uh, the clip of him sobbing on the bench in warmups and, and crying as they introduced him, I mean, it was uncomfortable as it should be, but the, that grief is real and it's re- it was really hard, uh, you know, putting that in the context and then trying to enjoy watching a basketball game and then just imagining what he was going through that I can't can't really begin to imagine that so uh, certainly that was uh, a gutsy performance Uh, I think that is I'm a huge Isaiah Thomas fan just because he is so small yet is so good uh, in terms of scoring Uh, I think he's gutsy just about night in and night out Um, but compound that with with dealing with the the tragic loss of your sister I mean uh, that's probably the definition of a gutsy performance. Um, I just don't like Boston. Sorry. No, I, Celtics I, fan. I, I, nor am I. I. I do not like Boston at all, but I, I can be a fan of Isaiah Thomas. Um, yeah, they, the, the whole team just doesn't scare me, but I, I like seeing him play. He's one of the fun part. One of the things that makes the NBA fun is Isaiah Thomas. Um, Moving on, though, uh, we already talked about the two-seed matchup with the Cavs uh, going to Toronto versus Milwaukee. Uh, this was another Game 1 upset Milwaukee, uh, stifling the the Raptors in, in that opening matchup, uh, the underdog on the road in Toronto, uh, holding the Raptors to just 32 points in, in the second half. Kyle Lowry only scoring four points in the entire game. Uh, Chris, uh, we, we neither of us picked the upset uh, in that Celtics Bulls series, but what about this Bucks Raptors? Uh, how concerned should the Raptors be? This was the toughest series to pick, in my opinion. Uh, I went Raptors in seven, but they should definitely be concerned because I I really thought about going Bucks in six, uh, only because of the home court thing. I think it's easier for the underdog team to win in six because of the the home court in the game six. Not that I think that it couldn't have still gone to seven. Um, but yeah, yeah, Toronto should definitely be concerned because as we said before, the underdog probably has the best player on the court in Giannis, the Greek freak. I won't even try to say his last name. First off, it's an amazing nickname for the guy because he's 6'11", he can play point guard, which means he can play every position on the court. And Jason Kidd is quietly becoming one of the best up-and-coming coaches in the NBA. I believe he is the best up-and-coming coach in the NBA, uh, and we all know who I'm ta- else I'm talking about, the coach of the Boston Celtics, who I believe gets too much hype. Um, but Jason Kidd, what he's doing in Milwaukee the last three years, playing this kind of positionless basketball, the way he's brought this team along despite having some misfortunes in the draft, injuries, things like that, uh, Giannis has grown into a legitimate superstar and dare I say even top 10 NBA player. The guy is amazing and I don't think anyone on Toronto can really stop him. So they've got to match wits with him and they need they need Kyle Lowry to step up. They need their guns to get there because I do think Toronto has a little more depth and while Giannis may be the number one player, Toronto still has a solid core with uh, Lowry, DeRozan, and Valanciunas. And so I do think ultimately over a seven-game series, that kind of depth in the front end of your rotation will win out. And I think Toronto will still win this series in, in seven games. But it's going to be a fun series to watch, and I think Milwaukee's going to give them all they can handle. Yeah, it's almost comical that in, in the very first game of the postseason after Toronto 
you know, broke through the the wall, won some games in that Eastern Conference Finals. We thought that they were certainly going to be uh, one of the best teams in the East this year, and, and their record certainly reflects that. But one of the uh, storylines of Toronto's postseason runs the past couple of years has been that Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, one of those guys never showed up uh, in a playoff game. And it was either one of them had a fantastic game and the other was, you know, could not score at all or vice versa. And they, they could not click at the same time. Uh, and, you know, here we are in 2017 game one of the playoffs and Kyle Lowry goes out and scores four points. DeMar DeRozan scores 27 points, but uh, you know, th- I thought we were past this. And, and so maybe I do think it's going to be a close series. Uh, I actually think that the, the the Bucks are just too good defensively for for the Raptors to to uh, break through this uh, un, unless Lowry and DeRozan click at the same time. Um, so yeah, I, I I think that the the, the Bucks are going to pull this out just because uh, you know this is the same story that that we've seen from the Raptors the past couple of years. It's either Kyle Lowry going all in or DeMar DeRozan's never at the same time. And, and those are your stars. Those are your two best players. You need both of them to, to, to win a playoff series. Uh, definitely against a team that has, uh, I agree with you, the best player on the court and uh, is a really well-coached team. And I think they have some depth as well. I mean, Greg Monroe comes off the bench in game one, 15 rebounds, 15 points. Uh, you know, our own Delhi uh, comes off the bench as well and provides some solid defense. This is a team that, that can go toe to toe with the Raptors. And I think, uh, you know, they have all the momentum, obviously. I, I do think they're going to pull this one out. Yeah. I said of the four bottom seeds in the East, Milwaukee's the one I didn't want to see in the first round. I wanted no part of that matchup at all. And I'm very glad the Bucks are tormenting somebody else in the first round of the NBA playoffs because I, I wanted no part of that. I was very relieved when the stat finally came out that Milwaukee could finish no lower than six because at that point Cleveland had clinched either the one or the two seed. And I'm like, okay, good. We are not going to see them. That's all that matters to me um, because this team, I thought, had the biggest shot at pulling an upset in the first round. I, I was very tempted to pick them over Toronto. Um, but, but I do ultimately think that Toronto – while they might not have the number one player on the court, they do have the two, three, and four player on the court. And I think that that depth in the front end of the rotation should win out over the course of the series. But I'm not trying to knock Milwaukee here. They're still a very well-coached team. They play great defense, and Giannis is the real deal. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, yeah, I, I think they, Milwaukee has a lot of good things working for them. Um, yeah, Toronto certainly – on, on in terms of talent um, experience they, they, they should win this series pretty easily but uh, the Bucks are up and coming they have some really interesting young talented pieces are well coached play fantastic defense uh, if they don't win the series it, it's definitely a go down to the wire uh, but I, I, I am picking the, the upset uh, for the Bucks. Um, all right and then for the last uh, series in, in the Eastern Conference um, this is probably the the least exciting uh, of them all, the Wizards versus the Hawks. Uh, Wizards winning that game one, uh, 114 to 107 behind John Wall. Uh, fantastic performance, 32 points, 14 assists uh, from, from him uh, to go along with four rebounds. Uh, his running mate, Bradley Beal, also with 22 points. Uh, Chris, what, what's your preview of this matchup? Do the Hawks stand any chance? 
I, I didn't give them much of a chance to tell you the truth. I, I, I know what they did to Cleveland down the stretch to, to make a run at the five seed was kind of impressive, but but honestly, I just think Washington is is the best team on this half of the quadrant. I, I think Washington is the favorite to get to the conference finals. They have a legitimate superstar in Bradley or in John Wall, another one in Bradley Beal. Uh, very very strong team. Uh, Scott Brooks, uh, fantastic. I mean, I, I thought he got a raw deal when he was fired in Oklahoma City. I think he's an excellent coach. So I think Washington is uh, the best team on this uh, Boston half of the draw. And I, I think they'll handle the Hawks relatively easily. I, I said six games because I wanted to give the Hawks a little bit of credit for the way they ended the season, but it wouldn't surprise me if the Wizards take care of business in five. Yeah, I think the Wizards are going to take care of this pretty easily uh, just on the back of, of John Wall and, and the talent that the Wizards have. They're just more athletic than the Hawks. Uh, the only way the Hawks... Uh, provide some fight or, or win the series if, is if Dwight Howard steps up and uh, kind of goes retro Dwight Howard. Uh, the rebounds were there in game one, 14 rebounds, but only seven points from him. Got uh, Got to have more production uh, from Dwight Howard if, if the Hawks are going to stand any chance. Uh, so that is the Eastern Conference. Moving to the Western Conference, we'll start at the top with the Golden State Warriors uh, drawing the Portland Trailblazers. This was a, a pretty Can easy... Can we just say sweep right now? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just I like. There's no way Portland's winning a game in this series. I, 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 I'm not trying to disrespect the Blazers, but Golden State's going to mop the floor with them. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I, I guess sweep is uh, the the most likely outcome, uh, the most probable. Uh, I, you know, Damian Lillard is fantastic, and he's got C.J. McCollum running with him. Uh, they could get hot at home and potentially win a game, but uh, yeah, I, I think a sweep is probably in order. I don't know what Damian Lillard was thinking when he said Blazers in six or seven. That that's some confidence you got to believe in yourself. But I, I, this was by far the easiest series to pick. I, I just don't see them having any shot at at the Warriors. Yeah. Well, what are you going to say if somebody asks you, <laughs> are you going to win this series? Of yeah, of course. Of course, you're not going to say the other team's going to win. I, I totally get it. I, I, and, and like, I think people get down on those things way too easily. I mean, what, what's the guy supposed to say? He's not going to bet against himself. Yeah. Yeah. That would be really funny if he if somebody did bet. He's like, oh, we're going to lose this one in four. <laughs> Actually, that, that would be hilarious. It's yeah. like something out of like a Will Ferrell movie or something, or I don't know. Yeah. Oh, we're we're definitely losing this one. No question about it. There's no <laughs> hope for us. Um. All right. Well. Uh. Yeah. That that's not uh, uh quite an exciting matchup there. Uh. Moving to the two seed, the Spurs drawing the Memphis Grizzlies. Always a pesky team, but uh, the Spurs definitely took care of business uh, in Game One, one eleven to eighty two, winning uh, that first game against the Grizzlies. Chris, uh, what what are the Grizzlies' chances of an upset? Well, first off, le- uh, less than one percent. But but secondly, that first game was actually really close, like through midway through the third quarter, and then the Spurs went on some ridiculous like thirty to three run or something insane. Like I, was, my dad and I were watching it, and uh, it was a tight game. And then then all of a sudden we kind of looked up, and we're like, wow, man, the Spurs just kind of took it to them. Uh, but no, I, I just think the Spurs too talented, too deep. And, and the Grizzlies' problem is they're one of those defensive teams that once you get into the playoffs, they just going to such lulls offensively that, that you just can't win when you're up against a team that has a guy like Kawhi Leonard who can just break it down. Uh, 
So I, I, I don't I don't give Memphis much of a chance. I gave them one game, so I, I took Spurs in five. Certainly wouldn't surprise me if this was a sweep too. Yeah, I think the Spurs are going to sweep. Uh, yeah, I, w- I watched the first half of that game with you, and Marcus Gasol's fantastic, but uh, yeah, I agree with you that they're, the rest of that team, just not enough offensive firepower. Certainly a good defensive team, but uh, not much else there. Um, all right, moving to the three seed, the Houston Rockets. Uh against the Oklahoma City Thunder to potential maybe the first and second finishers of the, the NBA MVP depends on uh, how the voting plays out. Uh, James Harden versus Russell Westbrook. Brooke, uh, the Rockets winning 118 to 87 in that game one matchup. Um, the Rockets, or excuse me, the Thunder weren't all that competitive in, in that first game. Uh, what, what are their chances of beating the Rockets? Well, I, I think that on paper, this is the best storyline you have. Harden, Westbrook, the former teammates, and the the MVP race all going clashing head to head in this series. So, so that's obviously a very fun kind of storyline. But I think when you look beyond those two, Houston has way more firepower than Oklahoma City. And while I think that neither of these teams are uh, stalwarts on defense, so I do think Oklahoma City will defend home court I think this is going to be a very kind of back and forth win at home and then maybe Houston wins game six or seven or something like that I could see this going long just because I don't think Houston's the kind of team that can grind it out on the road with their defense but they're going to win a shootout and I, I, I just think that Houston will ultimately win but I think it's going to go long just because I don't think Houston's a very good defensive club well in terms of regular season you know Houston had the Thunders number um Yes, I, I agree. Neither of these teams are, are going to hang their hat on defense. But um, while both are explosive offensively, the Rockets are very efficient offensively. I, I do think the Rockets are going to easily win this series uh, probably in five games. I'll, I'll give the Thunder one at home, but I think the Rockets are going to handle this one uh, pretty easily because once you – uh, look past uh, Westbrook and Harden just about every other good player is on the Rockets side of, uh, of this matchup um, yeah I, I think the Rockets are going to handle this one pretty easily and then finally uh, this one got really interesting after that game one uh, upset uh, the Utah Jazz pulling off a buzzer beater win against the LA Clippers to steal game one uh, for that number four seed versus five seed matchup uh, though the Jazz did lose Rudy Gobert, uh, potential NBA Defensive Player of the Year, uh, he'll certainly be in, in in the top three in terms of voting for that. Um, not sure how long he's going to be out. He, he says he may come back for the playoffs. I guess it depends how deep the Jazz go. Um, but Chris, uh, Gobert exited that game pretty uh, early on in, in that game one matchup, but the Jazz still able to pull out a two-point win against the Clippers. Uh, are you smelling an upset here? Well, I picked the upset, so yes, I picked Jazz in six, and this was before the Gobert injury. Um, first off, you couldn't draw up two more opposite teams. You have one based in L.A., a lot of star power, a team that uh, has underachieved over the last couple of years, a team that never seems to find that that missing whatever to to get you know, to get deep in the playoffs like they should on paper. On paper, the Clippers should be talked about with the Cavs and the Warriors. They have a legitimate big three. They have superstar talent. 
they have some depth and they have a coach that's won an NBA championship and been to two NBA finals. So on paper, the Clippers should be right up there with them, but they always seem to fall short, whereas the Jazz are the complete opposite. They don't have a lot of big names. Now, Gordon Hayward is legitimate top tier, top 10, 15 player, but I don't think many people heard of Rudy Gobert. I think people forgot Joe Johnson was on the Jazz. So the Jazz are kind of this team that has enough star power to be pesky. It's the perfect blend of star power and defense. They're they're just the, the polar opposite of the Clippers. So it's kind of a clash in styles. And at the end of the day, until the Clippers show me that they can step up and come together and, and get it done in the postseason – I'm going to take the benefit of the doubt. This is why I thought the Jazz uh, have have a ripe chance to upset them. I still think they will, even with Rudy Gobert out. But certainly that is a huge blow to the Utah Jazz. So much of what they do on defense uh, revolves around him. Yeah, I, I I can't see the Jazz winning this series if Gobert is going to miss the, the entire length of the series. Now, he's been ruled out for Game 2. Uh, but his availability beyond that has not been discussed or is not known. Um, I think they would have to get him back at full functionality, at least for game four and beyond for them to stand a chance. Um, they, they certainly showed uh, what they're capable of doing to any team. I mean, the Jazz, uh, I remember both those matchups that the Cavs had against them. They are not uh, a fun team to play against. They are fantastic defensively. Uh, they just frustrate stars and, and, and frustrate the, the other side. Um, so th- I think the Jazz have that potential, but they have to have Gobert in that lineup. Without him, I think the Clippers uh, are, are going to win this series just because uh, they, they have too much star power. Notably, they have too much star power in the low post with, with DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin. Uh, I don't think uh, the Jazz will be able to to mitigate that the loss of Gobert with those two, uh, you know, taking the ball down down low now if the clippers lose this series and the jazz don't have gobert i mean chris the clippers are the definition of, of disappointment and not meeting expectations is it time to blow up this team if the clippers don't win this series if, if it's not time it's darn close i think that if they don't win the series it's they're in no man's land because they have star power to keep fans interested and they certainly could make a run. They have enough talent, but at the same time, it's, it, it's pretty clear it's not working. These guys have been together since 2012 when they got Chris Paul. So I just think that, yeah, I mean, you, you you definitely have to consider making some drastic changes if they don't get out of the first round, especially if Gobert doesn't play the rest of the series. Yeah, I think you have to. I mean, so many disappointments uh, for the Clippers uh losing series that they definitely should have won and then uh just just not not meeting expectations never advancing that far in, in the postseason if if they lose in the first round uh, against a, a jazz team that that lacks star power that lacks probably their second best player I, it, it, be, it has to be time it has to be um all right well chris uh, of those matchups obviously you, you're going to Play close attention to the Cavs, but which one is 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 the most exciting to you that that you want to watch the most? That's a good question. I I think I actually am intrigued by Milwaukee Toronto because because I, I I think that that series is is kind of fascinating. I think you have two pretty evenly matched teams, one with a little bit more depth, the other uh, with with a bigger star. 
I, I think that's a very good matchup. And I, I, the one we just talked about, Clippers and Jazz, is another very compelling one. Um, and then if I had to put a third outside of Cleveland, it would be uh, Boston and uh, Chicago. Those three, I think, were the toughest to pick. And I think those three were, which which lends themselves to being the three that I think the underdog had the best chance of winning. Yeah, Uh those three certainly seem to be the most exciting, uh, having known how game one played out. Those are the upsets that, that happen for sure. Um, I'm going to be a little different. I, I'm most intrigued by that Boston-Chicago matchup. I mean, uh, a one seed losing to eight seed, regardless of the talent that the eight seed has, that's uh, that's pretty embarrassing, and that would certainly be a, a huge upset. And done at the hands of Jimmy Butler, the guy that the Celtics almost traded for and, and we're in deep talks for, for training for at the trade deadline. Um, I, I'm really intrigued by that matchup, but I think the three that you mentioned certainly are going to be exciting. And obviously I'm going to be watching the Cavs a, a whole lot for sure. Man, if you're Boston, you're thinking to yourself, man, if Jimmy Butler were on our team now, we might actually have a legitimate shot at winning this Eastern conference with the Cavs showing vulnerability. I mean, your biggest competition is Washington. That's not a very high bar to leap over. Jimmy Butler or Paul George would have put Boston over the top. Now, there were talks about Paul George, too. I don't think the Pacers wanted to trade Paul George. Reports came out after that. But if the Celtics had gotten Jimmy Butler, uh, I'd be a lot more scared of them than I am right now. Oh, I think they would certainly be the favorite to win the East if Jimmy Butler were on that team. Uh, Woo, raining in there. I don't think they'd be the favorites. I still think the Cavs would be the favorites, but they, they'd have uh, a legitimate shot at knocking them off. Uh, I, I disagree. Just from how that regular season ended, I, I think the, the Celtics would, would be the favorite. But you also have to take into account how much of their depth they'd have to sacrifice in the trade. So I, it's almost impossible to know for sure, but I uh, no, no, they would not be the favorites. The Cavs would have way too much. The, the, the Cavs would have, still have the talent advantage. I think they'd still have the three best players on the floor. All right. I agree to disagree on that one. We, we're not going to debate that. Um, moving on, though, from the NBA playoffs, uh, NHL playoffs are, are going on as well. We previewed the Columbus Blue Jackets and their chances of making a run uh, to the Stanley Cup last week. And, Chris, already uh, those chances do not look good. They're down 3-0 to Pittsburgh, have not looked competitive in, in that series uh, I mean, a three zero deficit in, in any playoff series is is hard to to overcome, near near impossible. Uh, is are you sticking a fork in them? Well, there have been five instances of a three zero comeback. Four of them have happened in hockey, so not quite super sticking a fork in them because of all the sports to go down three zero. This is the one to do it in. Um, but their odds are not looking very good. Look, Pittsburgh has dominated this series. Um, they have shown why they're the defending Ch- Stanley Ch- Cup champions. Try saying that six, six times fast. Um, and I, I, I just think Columbus, young team, first first time in the postseason, um, running up against a huge buzzsaw in Pittsburgh. Uh, it, it was an unfortunate draw. They had a season that deserved better. Uh, if, the, if the bracket were seated better, maybe it would be a different ending. Uh, but but when you have to face a team that has this much experience and uh, this much you know depth, I mean, yeah, they've got a lot of talent on the Penguins as well, season talent. Uh, but but the, it doesn't take anything away from the Blue Jackets. They have a bright future, a lot of young talent. What they did this year uh, was fantastic, and hopefully it's a sign of things to come. I, I do hope they take a game from Pittsburgh. Don't get swept. Just don't get swept. Keep the series going, and uh, hey, you know, it's happened four times. Maybe they'll come back. 
I wouldn't bet on it, but it ain't over till it's over. Yeah, in order to uh, avoid the sweep, they'll they'll have to to win that game Tuesday night in Columbus. Uh, I hope so as well, uh, just to save some face. But it does not look good. Uh, I I do think that. Uh, well, not that this is a bold prediction or anything, but I, I think the Penguins are going to pull this one out. Too 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 experienced, too talented, and they just uh, demoralized Columbus when they played those first two games in Pittsburgh. Um, well, the backbreaker was losing in overtime after Columbus took a three-one lead. I, I think yeah. that the game three, uh, if they if Columbus had pulled that out, it would it still be a series. But the fact that they you know kind of gave up that lead and then lost in overtime that that's a backbreaker yeah very good point um i will plug my my uh current home national predators up 2-0 against chicago have shut them out twice uh and heading back into nashville for for that third game tonight yeah that would be fun uh, and look, the, the nhl playoffs more upsets happen we said this on our preview upsets happen in the nhl all the time and i, I would love to see some new blood in there um you know, I, I really, I don't, I have nothing against any NHL team because of all the sports. I mean, I, I'm, I like the Blue Jackets, but I wouldn't say I'm a hardcore fan. So I have nothing against Chicago, but it would just be fun to see some new blood rise up and, and pull a big upset. Because I, I think that would be a really big upset if Chicago went down in the first round. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that would be awesome. Uh, I know a lot of people that would be really excited for that. Um, actually, I know a lot of Black Blackhawks fans as well that won't be excited about that. But uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, so we, we did go to an uh, Indians game over the weekend. We saw one of the uh, bright spots of this young season uh, for, for the Indians uh, winning uh, what was supposed to be a pitcher's duel between Verlander and Kluber. It turned out to be a uh, slugfest, uh, tons of home runs, uh, one of the few wins uh, – one of two wins the Indians have had at home in, in their first two series there. Um, Chris, the, the Indians are now five and seven, have been wildly inconsistent, both offensively and in terms of starting pitching. Um, you know, Lonnie Chisholm is back. He's hitting some home runs. Jason Kipnis is on the way. Uh, are you worried? What, 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 are the, what are the problems here? Well, first off, the problems are it's only 12 games in the season, okay? That that's the main problem. Uh, I think whenever you struggle early, things get magnified. I think that there are certain players, uh, in Edwin Encarnacion in particular, who is uh, pressing a little bit. I mean, you look at the guy's career numbers; he is ridiculous, especially with runners on. This is not going to last. The guy has been too consistent for too long. Uh, the bats have shown flashes. The arms have shown flashes. He's just getting it all together. The one thing I'm concerned about, and and I really got to see something out of him this week, is Josh Tomlin. I'm worried that 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 workload last year maybe was too taxing on him. Uh, he has not looked good by any stretch, and I, I I think if he doesn't show a good start or two um, on this road trip, um, there there might be a change coming. And they may they, I mean they kind of have no choice. You can't be giving up the the runs that he's giving up, uh, and and continue. It, it just can't continue. You can't have a hole like that in your rotation. Um, Trevor Bauer has also been inconsistent, but but Tomlin, I worry more just because he's older. He's had had the injury history, and, and he battled all the way back, and then in 2016 had a major workload, uh, just asked to do so much in the regular season and the postseason. I, I'm worried that that might be wearing on him. Yeah. Um, you know, J- Josh Tomlin, yes, I, I, I'm concerned about him as well. I, I'm not sure if you 
if uh, I'm going to correlate the 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 season that he had last year to to his struggles. He is 32. He has struggled before. I think 2016 was a uh, more of an outlier in terms of his fantastic performance M- might have been the best season he's ever turned in as a starting pitcher uh, he just might be regressing and also uh you know coming back to to his average and also regressing due to his age um i don't want to start pointing the finger at at the postseason run that that the indians had or or the, the workload that tomlin had in the regular season but yeah that that's certainly concerning the 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 uh, abbreviated outings that he's had uh, to start this season, uh, giving up so many runs. Um, he's never been a hard thrower, so it's hard for me to imagine that his arm is tired. Uh, it, it might just be that he is regressing due to his age, but they definitely need to fill that hole uh, and, and just be more consistent on, on the offensive side, hit with runners in scoring position. Um, to help that, Jason Kipnis is uh, – projected to, to come back maybe later in this week and, and rejoin the Indians. Uh, that means that somebody is going to have to be sent down uh, a couple likely candidates. But Chris, who do you think is going to be uh, demoted once Jason Kipnis is ready to return? Before I get to that, just one last point on Tomlin. I, I do think it's a problem. I mean, 191 innings last year is by far as high. The last time he pitched 160 was 2011. Uh, his last four years uh, 103 to 104.65. Uh, that's a really big jump to go from 169 innings in two years combined to 191. I, I am worried about that, and I, and I think it it might be affecting him. And I don't know for sure because I, I don't know. I haven't talked to the guy or anything like that, but that jumps out as me as slow start, high innings volume, I'm not sure if, if, if that's a really good sign. But anyway, to answer your question, I, I think it's between it's, it's got to be between Almonte and Yandy Diaz. Um, and, and I'm torn because I think Almonte is, is, is having a good start. He's hitting 280 so far. Uh, he's not you know jumping out at anyone, but, but he certainly can play a good center field. Yandy Diaz, though, is the flashier guy. Even though he's only hitting 250, he's been drilling the cover off the ball. And it's probably just been, you know, a little bit unfortunate with where he's hitting the ball. Uh, but, the, but the big question is, you know, once Kipnis comes back, he's got to play second base, which means Ramirez is going to go to third. I, I think he's too good of a glove to play in the outfield. I think you got to play Ramirez at third, which means if Yandy Diaz is the one who goes to the outfield, do you, do you value Almonte's defense or Yandy Diaz's defense? I don't know. Um, and, and then the other side is, do you want to keep Yandy up here because he has shown flashes of, of uh, some pretty high ceiling uh, with what he can do at the plate? Uh, so, so I think it's going to be a tough call, but I, I think it's going to be between the two of them. Um, I, I'd like to see a little bit more of Yandy Diaz, even though he's only hitting 250. I, I just think he's shown these kind of flashes of a very high ceiling. If he can play the outfield, which is was his sort of original position, before he was kind of forced into this third base to try to make the roster, um, I say keep him and, and, and hope that he can get a little more, get a little more, more lucky with where he's hitting the ball. Because I think if he hits it, if he if he can, you know, not if he can avoid the the fielders, uh, he should improve that 250 batting average. Well, yeah, I, I think Yanni Diaz is certainly more in the Indians long-term goals but I, I think this is a pretty easy move I think uh Yandy Diaz should go down to triple a and, and get every day 
at bats and, and get more seasoning at third base and, and also reacclimate himself with the outfield so they can play every day. I mean, with Kipnis going back into the lineup, uh, Diaz is, is the likely uh, bat getting uh, getting benched. So it, it, does it service him to sit on the bench and play every a couple games in the outfield to, to get acclimated with major league pitching or, you know, should we send him down and, and get him some everyday at bats and, and redevelop himself? He got a taste for the majors and major league pitching. Uh, next time he gets called up, he'll be better for it. I, I think it's pretty uh, clear cut that Yandy Diaz should probably get sent back down the AAA and you keep Abraham Almonte with his versatility, speed, ability to play all three outfield positions uh, on the major league roster. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happened. I, I think a lot of fans are going to be disappointed with that because Yandi has become a fan favorite. But again, I'm not advocating the Indians make a decision based on that. Look, I wouldn't have a problem with either of them going down or either of them staying. Um, but but the fan in me kind of wants to see this Yandi Diaz thing play out. And don't worry, it's a long season. Other guys are going to get hurt. Hopefully nothing too serious. Hopefully nothing too impactful. But I, I have a feeling Yandi Diaz if he gets sent down or Abraham Almonte, these guys won't be down there very long. Yanni Diaz is a fan favorite after 12 games. Oh yeah, dude. I think a lot of people are talking. I mean, Google his name. Everyone's raving about him on Twitter. Yeah. All right. A lot of guys like him. I mean, that's all I, all I keep hearing about are people talking about Yanni Diaz. I've got two of my friends always texting me about Yanni Diaz. It, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, he's, he's kind of become one of those kind of, you know, like Jerry Sands. Remember Jerry Sands became a fan favorite. All he had to do was hit a couple of good, good balls, a home run here. And, and yeah, you become a fan favorite. So, I mean, you know, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to be a fan favorite in Cleveland, I guess. Uh, I don't yeah, we'll 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 uh we'll keep you posted on on what happens with Kipnis coming in and hopefully the the tribe opening a series against the Twins uh tonight uh turn it around and are able to put together a string of wins and, and be a little bit more consistent. Uh turning to uh kind of a, a Cleveland Brown story, Miles Garrett projected number 1 overall uh draft pick uh projected Cleveland Brown because the Cleveland Browns have that number 1 pick. Uh, a native of Texas, his entire life born in Arlington, played in Texas A&M uh, in his college years. Uh, but after the uh, odd, tragic uh, event in Cleveland where uh, a man posted to uh, Facebook a, a video of him killing an elderly man on the street uh, on, on Easter Sunday, Miles Garrett tweets out uh, uh, a tweet uh, offering prayers in support of Cleveland. Now, this could be uh, him just wishing... Uh, peace and safety to a, a city that is a little bit confused right now. Uh, but we can also read into it that Miles Garrett is is getting more and more set to be a Cleveland Brown. Maybe he knows something we don't know. Uh, what are you taking away from from Miles Garrett getting involved in in, in that uh, sad situation? First off, classy gesture by Miles Garrett. Um, I think that for an awful story occurred over Easter Sunday here in Cleveland, and it's very. A very nice gesture to reach out and uh, offer the city uh, support, um, even if it was just a tweet. It's still the fact that he's thinking of the city and, and thinking of the tragedy is, is is a classy gesture. Reading into it, I, look, I don't like to read into these things very much, but but I don't think it's a coincidence that that you know Cleveland has the number one pick, and certainly there's you know Miles Garrett's in the conversation for drafting number one overall. We all know that, and and. I'm not saying the only reason he did this 
was because Cleveland has the number one pick. I, I don't, I'm not putting that on him. But I also think he's very conscious of the fact that Cleveland has the number one overall pick. And perhaps he does, like you said, know that Cleveland might be leaning towards him. And he wants to try to get ingrained in the community as fast as possible. And and I, I'm not I'm not putting the man down. But I, I also don't think it's a coincidence that Cleveland also holds the number one draft pick. So very classy gesture on his part. I'm not trying to read too much into it, but but I, I also don't think it's a coincidence that uh, he's reaching out to uh, a city that has a high probability of drafting him. Because, Bob, I mean, we're going to talk about the NFL draft next week in more detail, but I do think that it's becoming clearer that Miles Garrett will be the pick at number one. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the, the lead up to the NFL draft is incredibly long uh the college season ends in january and uh all eyes turn to the draft from there uh miles garrett uh with that video that he posted about you know trading the the cowboys trading romo to the browns for him he's been very aware of his situation and who has that pick this isn't the first time um miles garrett has referenced cleveland in some way Uh, yeah i mean i think it was really nice of him to to reach out and offer support to a city that he may potentially be moving to and maybe part uh, of you know have lots of new fans uh in the area um but yeah i think this is definitely him being cognizant of the fact that the browns are are leaning very heavily toward towards miles gary so um yeah a a very classy move for sure but also a, a business move as well um, speaking of college football, uh, Ohio state had their spring game, uh, over the week and, uh, featured a very pass heavy game. Um, you know, the, the Ohio state Buckeye pass offense, uh, last season, what was lacking by, by the end of that season, Chris, uh, this seems like an obvious move. Uh, is that a, are, are you taking anything away from that? The only thing I'm taking away is that they're, they're working on their passing game, uh, because, I don't think you can take anything away from a spring game, really. Uh, it, it's it's a glorified scrimmage, uh, but but I do think it's a good sign that they've recognized where their weakness was and they are at least dedicating practice reps because that's all this is. It's practice towards trying to improve in the passing game. Uh, other than that, uh, it's a spring game. End of the day, not much to take away from there. Yeah, I mean... Look, you struggled with the pass last season. You got most of your passing game returning uh, for, for th- this season. Seem makes sense to, to focus on, on improving that. But other than that's what you're working on, until we see some results, who, who knows what, what it's going to be. And I, I find it hard to imagine that all of a sudden uh, the, the Buckeyes are only going to pass you know, all the time. They're, they're still going to be a, a run first, a run option team. Um, but they certainly need to improve that pass game for sure. Um, if that passing game shows up against September 9th against Oklahoma, then then I'll start believing it. But yeah. the, the spring game, I can't take too much from that, man. I'm just glad they're working on it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, staying in Columbus, uh, MLS season uh, is just underway. Columbus crew is sitting on top of the Eastern Conference after seven games played. Uh, with 13 points, uh, Chris, this is a, a crew team that uh, had a had a deep postseason run just a couple of years ago, but missed the playoffs last year. Uh, this is obviously a, a good start for them. 
Yeah, always good to see our brethren in Columbus having success and uh, Columbus crew no different. Uh, 4-2-1-1 record, 13 points sitting on top of the East. As you said, they uh, were playing for the MLS Cup just two years ago. Uh, had some excitement around their season last year. One of the more successful franchises in the MLS. So uh, hopefully they can keep this up because, hey, I love seeing good stories come out of Columbus. I love seeing the regional ho- uh, good hockey team, good soccer team to go with the big three we got up here. Well, well, the Browns aren't doing too well. But the point is uh, that's why that's why we got the Buckeyes in Columbus to make up for the Browns. So uh, it's, it's always fun to see Columbus have success. Um, I think that uh, these two cities uh, kind of have – a nice relationship and i think we should both support each other yeah for sure uh, as mls wraps up i uh i or as we we head into the summer i get more into mls for sure uh, i i do like it and i hope the crew ha- have a have a great season absolutely um all right well that's the news uh what about your fake headline i want to come here on monday and read about a seven game win streak for the tribe i think that would be fantastic to get to get, just wash away all these these you know early panickers and I want to see a seven game win streak for the tribe. That would be nice. I hope hey. it comes true. Yeah, no complaints there. That would be a, a four game sweep of the Twins and a three game sweep of the White Sox for for those keeping track. I similarly similarly predicted a sweep of the White Sox last week uh, and that did not. Uh, happen because the, the Indians went one and two in that series. But I hope you are uh, correct. I, I would definitely love that. Uh, mine is not really Cleveland related. Um, I want the Jazz to sweep the Clippers because uh, I do not like the Clippers at, at all. And uh, I, I just don't I don't like that team. I think Chris Paul is a great player and I, I really do. I, I like Chris Paul. Um, I, I, I cannot stand Jordan or, or, or Griffin or even Doc Rivers really. I don't really I, I i just want them to lose and i think it would be the probably the most embarrassing playoff loss uh this clippers team has had even though they've had some embarrassing playoff losses uh that would just tickle me i i, ho- I hope that happens yeah if they got swept especially if gobert doesn't play the next three games that would be that would be embarrassing if they lost the series it wouldn't be because utah can certainly win the series but but i agree if it, if it were a sweep that would be pretty embarrassing with all the talents and that's on the clippers uh, you should at least win a couple games and make it a six or seven game series. Yeah. Even then that would make me happy if the Jazz pull that out. But uh, I'm, I'm really hoping for the sweep. Hey, I, I hope I, I kind of hope the Bulls sweep the Celtics because uh, I feel the same way about the Celtics. But um, anyway, we will talk more about that next week. We'll see if our headlines come true. We'll see if the Tribe can turn it around. We'll have a lot of NFL draft talk because it's finally going to be here a week from Thursday. We'll find out what the Browns do with the number one pick and all the other picks they have in the draft. But until then, you're going to have to catch us at FamilyRoadSports.com. You can find all of our episodes of Clee Talk there, or you can subscribe via iTunes by searching Fenley Road Sports and clicking Clee Talk or clicking on the icon in the upper right-hand corner of FenleyRoadSports.com. It's just that simple. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter by searching Fenley Road Sports. Just that easy as well. And we'll be back next Monday with our NFL Draft Preview. More Cleveland sports. Hopefully the Cavs have taken care of business and the Tribe gets things turned around. And hey, maybe the Blue Jackets will still be alive in the playoffs as well. You never really know. Sports can have some crazy finishes as any sports fan is familiar with. But until then, go Tribe, go Cavs, and go Blue Jackets. All right, I'll see you, Chris. 
Take it easy, Bob.